Blog Talk Radio. All right, let's take us let's take us a red song book and stand together and let's turn to number forty two. Number forty two, the way of the cross leads home. I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but there. I shall never get sight of the gates of life in the way of the cross. I the way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. It is sweet to know as I onward go. The way of the cross leads home. I must needs go on in the blood sprinkled way. The path that the Savior trod. If I ever climb to the where the soul is at home with God. The way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. It is sweet to know as I onward go. The way of the cross leads home. And I did farewell to the way Seems like a whole 
that whole section of our family over in Dallas area is just really, really going through it. So please lift them up in prayer. Donnie, you had your hand up. prayer for me. Um, Delacher has been working on me this week and I'm here in church. Amen. Well, he didn't win, praise God. Amen. Yes, sister. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Yeah, right. Lord of mercy. so many things right now it's just hard it's hard to comprehend sometimes all that's going on but you know in the middle of all that it seems like you know where's god god's in control don't don't doubt for one second he's in control uh our faith is being tested our our prayer life is being strengthened and uh and god knows what he's doing we just need to rely on him we just we just got to put our confidence in him that he's got it and he knows what he's doing Anybody else? Any other prayer requests? We need to remember Grant and Bonnie this morning. Lift them up in prayer. Yes, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. I, I, I texted with her this morning. She said that Grant had had two or three days where things had been real unsteady, but that he had he had kind of leveled back off to the way he was. So it uh, seems like might be it might be a good time to visit this first part of this week. I told her I'd try to make a I'd try to make a trip out there first part. Y'all try to make one too if you can. Uh, anybody else? Anything else? You need to remember to pray for Anya. She's not here this morning. Okay. Well, that's 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 good. That's good. Anybody else before we pray? All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Robert, lead us in prayer. Amen. You be seated. Wow. 
precious blood of the Lamb. Would you be whiter, much whiter than snow? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Sin stains are lost in its life-giving flow. There's wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Would you do service for Jesus, your King? There's power in the blood. Oh, 
51 through 60 this morning. I've got an unusual message today. I, I, I realize I'm preaching to a church that's full of saved folks, and, and that's wonderful. Amen. I'm so thankful that there's not lost folks here, but, that, but the truth of it is there's lost folks that listen. There's lost folks that you know. And because of that, we need to make it very plain that there's an urgency to be saved. There is an urgency to share the gospel. Uh, because, as we know, the Bible says, my spirit shall not always strive with men. There, there's a time, there's a place out there when God says that's it. You've been convicted and convicted and convicted and convicted, and you've resisted and resisted and resisted and resisted, and I'm not convicting anymore. I recall sitting beside a sweet lady who all through her life had been a religious woman but had not been a believer. And she was up in her 80s, and, and I was visiting with her. Just a dear woman. I mean, you'd think she's the sweetest person you'd ever met. But she didn't have Jesus. And, I, and, and she was very distraught over it. And we, we talked, and I witnessed, and I shared the gospel, and I, and I, and I, and I pleaded with her, and she said, I, I want to be saved. I really do, but I just can't. I just can't. And, and I, I'll never forget. I'm just stressing her over and over. Just believe on him. If I want to, but I just can't. And, and it's such a horrible tragedy. And I, and I happen to think, maybe God had just dealt with her so many times and she resisted him so many times. But that's not exactly what I want to talk to you about this morning. But I do want to talk to you on the subject of when God gives up. What a tragedy when God gives up. But I want us to read this morning Acts chapter 7, verse 51 through 60. The Bible says, and this is the end of, of, of Stephen's message to the high priest, the Sanhedrin, all those who had, who had rushed upon him and brought him in there, uh, the false witnesses and all, all of them, uh, great crowd of people that were in the chamber of the Sanhedrin. The Bible says, uh, Stephen said, he stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one, of whom ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the dispensation of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, lay, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, and we need you. Father, we lift up our voices to you, Lord, and the cries of our heart to you. And Lord, we know that without you we're a mess. Without you we fumble around in the dark, groping in the wall. Lord God, we've got to have you open our eyes. Lord, you've got to make us alive on the inside. Stir us, Lord. Tear away the stony parts of our heart. Reveal the tender places, Lord. Touch them, Lord. Reveal to us our need for you, Father. Reveal to us, Lord, the world's need for, for a Savior. Lord, the fact that we're entrusted to carry the gospel to the world. Lord God, we know that the time is short. We know that the clock is ticking away. The last of this dispensation of grace. Father God, help us to awake to that fact. 
Lord, let it become our reality that we live in. Lord, so that we receive the, the purpose for, the, for our living on this planet, Lord. Lord, that we might see what the Holy Ghost is trying to show us through the Word of God today. Father, I pray for each and every one under the sound of my voice, whether they be here on the premises or whether they be listening in to us electronically. Lord God, I pray for them. Lord, I know there's somebody out there today that needs this. Lord, I pray today for that one, Father, maybe it's more that's near as hell today. Lord, I pray today, Father, that you save that soul, Father. I pray, Lord, that you bring back that wayward child. Lord God, I pray you fix that failing marriage. Lord God, I pray, Lord, that you heal that broken heart, Father God. You know the need. Lord, I pray, Father, to use this message in whatever way you see fit to bring glory to Jesus. In his name we lift up your name and we praise you. Amen. Again, it's not a happy message. This is not one that I decide, oh, I think I'll preach this today. But what falls into my lap falls into my lap. And what God shows me to preach, that's what I'm going to preach. <clears throat> but that title, When God Gives Up, it almost seems like an impossibility because God doesn't quit. God doesn't change, what the Bible tells us. But God has a line out there somewhere. And when a person crosses that line... There won't be any more chances. <clears throat> but I want us to look here as we as we looked last week about Stephen. We saw we saw what happened with Stephen. We understood that Stephen was the first martyr of the church. And I told you that he was a transitional person. He he worked he he worked for God, served God in the transition between the dispensation of God to the Jews. The dispens- to the dispensation of the gospel to the Gentiles. He's right there in that window in between. And they, there came a time when God said to the Jews, that's it. And he stopped dealing with them and has stopped dealing with them all this 2,000 years and he will continue to not deal with them until he takes his church out of this world and then he is going to deal with them for seven years upon this earth and bringing them back to himself and revealing to them that they missed the Messiah, that Jesus was the true Messiah, and that they had embraced a liar and they had embraced a phony, which they will embrace. And I believe that that person is alive and well on this earth today. With all my heart, I believe he's prepared and he's ready and he's only waiting for the time when, when, when the devil says, go and do my bidding. I believe he is ready and waiting in the wings at this moment. But that's not what I come to talk to you about. I came to talk to you about when God said that was enough. When God said to the Jews, that's it. I want us to look this morning. I've got three things, three points we're going to deal with. We're going to look at, number one, the rebuke that was given. Number two, get to it here, we're going to look at the reaction that came. And number three, we're going to look at the reprobation, the reprobate, what happened uh, when, when God gave them up. So let's get into it and let's look this morning. Number one, let's look at the rebuke. I want you to look at what Stephen said to them. And I'm telling tell you, what a powerful, what a powerful rebuke this man gave. You've got to, you've got to, Take in the gravity of the situation. You've got to realize that he is on their turf. As a matter of fact, not only on their turf, he's in the center, he's in a circle, and they're surrounding him in seats all the way around him, all sides of him. He's got steely eyes burning holes through him. Not only in that circle of those high, high priests and, and, and leaders of Israel, but you, uh, the high priests and the leaders, but you've got to realize that all the false witnesses were also gathered in that room and they're all just seething with anger as they're looking and listening to Stephen, who is in the power of the Holy Ghost, preaching the Word of God, which they all knew, but preaching it to them, back at them in a way that they weren't ready for. He is telling them, he's, he's recounting the history of how God dealt with the children of Israel all the way down to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he gets down to the end of his message... This is his message to the leaders of Israel. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost of God as your fathers did, so do ye. I'm going to tell you something. That was hard for them to hear. 
But what did he exactly say? He called him stiff-necked. That was God's word for him. He rebuked him with God's term that he put on him. In Exodus chapter 32 and verse 9, And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. What did the Lord mean? Stiff-necked. It meant they weren't willing to submit their neck to the yoke that God asked them to put their neck into. Kind of reminds me of what Jesus was talking about in Matthew eleven twenty nine and 30 when he said, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But they didn't want in his yoke. They didn't want Jesus. They refused Jesus. They, they were like a feral bull that's been out in the pasture, never been handled by anybody. It's trying to now be hooked up to a wagon cart, the bull. And that bull says, uh-uh, you're not putting me in that harness. You're not putting me in that yoke. I'm not going to submit. That's the way they were when it came to God trying to show them that Jesus is the Messiah. <clears throat> They were like the unruly citizens in the parable in Luke 19, 14, which said, but his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. You see, they were happy with their religious system that they had corrupted. They were happy with their prestige and their power and their authority and, and, and how they could manipulate and control the people. almost sounds like our government today. It doesn't sound like it, but that's another message. But they were stiff-necked. Stiff-necked is to be hard-hearted. Stiff-necked is to be rebellious toward God. I don't care what God says. Isaiah 48, 4 says, but I, God says, but I knew that thou art obstinate, hard-headed, and thy neck is as iron sinew. Like the, the, the tendons in your neck are like iron. And thy brow brass. God says you're so hard-headed and stiff-necked. You're like you're like you got brass for a forehead and, and, and iron for, for tendons in your neck. That's how hard-hearted and stiff-necked and hard-headed you are. Jeremiah 17, 23. But they obeyed not, neither inclined their ear, but made their necks stiff, that they might not hear nor receive instruction. I almost sound like a rebellious teenager that says, I'm not listening. I don't care what you say. It's my life and I'll do what I want to do. That's exactly how the children of Israel were at times. And that's exactly how they were here. Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 4. For they are impudent children and stiff-hearted. I do send thee unto them, and thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God. He said you stiff-necked, but he also said they were uncircumcised in heart and ears. And I know we don't have to go into a whole lot of elaboration on what circumcision is, but it was, again, it was a covenant between God and man and to show that man was separated to God. And their heart, God said, was uncircumcised. Their heart, uncircumcised hearts, are hearts that are closed off. And are hard as stone. You can try everything in the world to get through to them, but they do not, they will not give you audience. They will not hear what you have to say. Their head is set in one direction only. Their jaws are clenched. Their teeth gnashing. Everything about them says, I won't do it. They've made up their mind. Uncircumcised hearts, uncircumcised ears, they hear the word wrongly. They hear it, but they don't hear it right. Jeremiah 6.10, to whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot hearken. They can't hear what I'm saying. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach an insult 
the Word of God, they don't, they don't want to hear it. It, it. it offends them. They have no delight in it. So, again, he's speaking about, he's speaking about the, the children of Israel, Jeremiah is, when he says they have uncircumcised ears, because of that, they don't, they don't want to hear. They, they don't listen. Their ears are closed off. It's as if something has stopped their ears up where they cannot, cannot hear it. And the reason that they cannot hear it is because they only hear what they want to hear. Somebody said a long time ago, when a man's got his mind made up, you cannot confuse him with the truth. Your ideas, when your ideas uh, are more high and lofty than God's, you can't hear what God has to say. They hear the Word of God wrongly because they have a prejudice against God. And they reject it solely because he said it. I'm, I'm telling you, I, 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 watch, I watch a lot of, I spend, I spend a lot of too much time watching videos of people and listening to people who, especially, I, I love to listen to, uh, watch uh, Ray Comfort. He's, he's, he witnesses, he's out in California, and he goes, he'll go up to people and talk to them. And he doesn't care who they are, what kind of situation they're in, uh, whether they say they're a, they're a, Raven atheist or what? He'll he'll challenge them on what they believe, and uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of people. They, again, it might be something good for them, but if God said it, they don't want no part of it because they hate God. Because God to them, they realize in order to have anything to do with God, they would have to get off their own throne where they are the God of their life to have any interaction with God, because they realize that they can't as long as they are on the own throne of their heart. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the Bible tells us, but the natural man, that's the lost, or the fleshly man, the man in his flesh, he receiveth not the things, uh, the, he receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. They couldn't receive anything from God because they were resisting God the whole way. Here they were. They were supposed to be the religious leaders of Israel, and they couldn't get anything from God. They were the men who handled the Word of God, and they didn't even understand the Word of God. Kind of like those people in Washington who have the Constitution but don't understand the Constitution. Right? I hate to keep bringing that into it, but there's so many parallels. Amen? But here they were, again, the leaders who couldn't do anything. They couldn't lead. They rejected God and everything he said. And, and again, he, and the next thing he said is, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost because they were uncircumcised in the heart. They always resisted the moving of the Holy Ghost. They didn't want God doing anything in their life. They resisted the light and they chose darkness. How many times did the children of Israel go off after pagan gods? And we just we look at we look at the life of Solomon. We can see toward the end of his life, he got tied up with so many women they let him off, and he went to building temples for pagan gods and things of that nature. And some of those pagan temples were, led to led to child sacrifice and everything else in Israel. Realize that child sacrifice is nothing new. Today they do call it Planned Parenthood. But back then they worshipped Molech. Back then they worshipped Baal. And they sacrificed their children to those gods. Why did those things take place? Because they resisted God. They did not want to submit themselves to God because they were a stiff-necked people. They resisted conviction. What happens when you resist conviction? You become hardened. Your heart becomes hardened and their heart had become hardened. They resisted the Holy Ghost speaking to them through the law and the prophets. Matter of fact, the prophets were hated. The prophets were often, even in times of uh, when there were good kings in Israel, there were still people that would mock them or, or, and, and make fun of them. Matthew 23, Jesus spoke about this in verse 31 through 33. He said, Wherefore, Ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. 
Fill ye up, then, the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. How can ye escape the damnation of hell? That's Jesus speaking to it. You see, they resisted. Their flesh lusted against the Spirit of God. Galatians 5, verse 17, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things you would. I know that speaking of a believer who has two natures, but understand that when, when all, all a religious man has is that one nature, which is his lustful, fleshly nature, he has no spirit of God. He's going to resist and fight the spirit of God all the way as long as he is not submitting himself to God. So, uh, uh, Stephen said, as your fathers did. So do ye. And I stopped right there and I thought about that for a second. It seems like we leave examples, don't we? They they just learn by watching and listening. And they saw the generation before them mock the prophets. They saw the generation before them killing the prophets. I know they'd been 400 years of silence, but they had, back in their history, they saw what their ancestors had done. They knew what their ancestors had done, and it left it left an example. It, they say, "Well, they, you know, they didn't they didn't listen to them. They didn't like them. So we're going to destroy any that come along to challenge anything that we believe, regardless if it's true or not." And like I said, it, you know, the example that we leave is going to be there when we are gone. What kind of a testimony will you leave for your children? What kind of a testimony we leave for your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren? It matters how we serve God or don't. But he said, as your fathers did, so do ye. And he said in verse 52, which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have now been now the betrayers and the murderers. Well, he stepped on their toes then. He brought it right down to where they live, and he said, you betrayed him, and you murdered him. I read that, and I couldn't help but think of this parable in Matthew 21, 33 and following. Jesus said, hear you another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and did the wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen, and went to a far country. And when the time of the fruits draw near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen, that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants, and beat one, and killed another, and stoned another. That's talking about the prophets. That's who Jesus was speaking of. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, and the husbandmen were the religious leaders of Israel, when they saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him. And they cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. And when the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? And those religious leaders said to Jesus, He will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their season. What is that speaking about? That's speaking about the time of the Jews ending and the time of the Gentiles beginning, which we are now living in. You see, Stephen was at a very pivotal moment in history. So he gave them this hard, this hard rebuke. I mean, he, he laid it right on the line, and he did it without any quivering in his voice. He did it with the power of the Holy Ghost coursing through his veins with an with a angelic face that they all could see. And we see number two, the reaction. 
The Bible says they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. The word there, and I forgot what the Greek word is, but it started with a D, and I'll give you that. But anyway, that same word that is used here for they were cut to the heart is used in Hebrews 11.37, which says they were sawn asunder, talking about believers in, the, in that chapter of Hebrews 11, that, that chapter of the heroes of faith. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were, t- were tempted, slain with a sword, wanders about sheep skin and goat skin, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. So sawn asunder means cut from head to toe, split and tooth. Saw them do it day after day to pigs and cows when I worked at the, at the locker plant. Take a big saw and split it right down the middle. Well, what is, what is the Word of God saying here? He's saying when Stephen gave them this rebuke and pointed out to them, you killed the prophets and you killed the Lord of glory. You are the murderers. The Word of God split them in two. That's what it means. It literally, I mean, I know not visibly, visibly but the Word of God, the Bible says it's a two-edged sword, right? Dividing even... The joints and the marrow, soul and the spirit. The word of God just split them right down the middle. Their minds were in a tortured agony. You know, they knew he was right, but they couldn't say anything back. They were, they were backed into a corner. They had no answer for his arguments. They weren't cut with conviction. They weren't under conviction, but they were full of rage. I mean, they were angry. How dare they? He had said this to them as they had been with the Peter and with the other apostles. They were full of anger and rage. Acts 5.33, talking about that before, it said when they heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. When the word of God just absolutely gores you and you say, ah! And you don't submit. The reaction is to be angry. And they were furious. Word of God, I'll tell you, there ain't nothing worse that I've ever gone through than conviction. I don't know if you remember what it was like to be under the conviction of God, but it's the most miserable situation. Paul knew about it. Jesus said to him, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks, isn't it? The Word of God was cutting him. They were cut to the heart. And not only that, the Bible says they gnashed on him with their teeth. They were filled with great malice and rage against him. You ever see a dog sitting there look like he wants to bite you shining, his teeth shining? That's the way they were doing, literally, like dogs who were growling and their teeth were shining at him. You know, Paul even called those folks dogs. He warned them, and maybe that's why, because of the way they look. But Philippians 3, 2, he says, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. He's talking about those Jews that hate that way. Christ, salvation through the blood of Jesus. He called them dogs. I always wondered about that gnashing on him with their teeth. I just wondered if they ran over and started gnawing on him like a dog on a bone or what. But no, it just means they were shining them teeth and growling at him. They were fuming. They were. I assume they were almost foaming at the mouth with anger. Hatred of God leads men to act like animals toward God's people, that is. Again, I, I, I know, I remember, uh, like I said, when, when back, back years ago, when me and uh, there's a guy named Jay, he was in our church, and he was excited and on fire, and we, we went out street preaching again. He had some guys pull up the family video parking lot and threatened to beat him, beat his hind in because he was out there witnessing for the Lord. Had people shoot me the finger more times than I could even imagine to tell you about because for, for, for witnessing and street preaching. I'm telling you, people don't want to hear it. They hate. People that don't love God, they hate when people bring his word up and start trying to preach it and start trying to share it. They hate it. Why? Because it cuts them. It cuts them. They can't take it. Oh, listen, I tell you, somebody comes to me with a knife, I'm going to try to defend myself. And that's what they're trying to do because you come at them with a double-edged sword that they can't defend. And that's exactly what they need. These men hated God so bad. Again, they were filled with great malice and rage, but they were filled with great vexation too. They couldn't deny what they were experiencing, and it was tearing them in two. They were filled with rage while, while, while seeing miraculous things before them. They couldn't deny what their eyes were seeing. They couldn't deny what, what 
God had done through Stephen. God was using him. They knew that those miracles were real, but yet it went against everything they thought. The gnashing of teeth, which they were doing, that's also described in hell. They'll be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Could be because that's where these men were headed. The Bible says, but he being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Now, let me just let me just say this this morning. Let me kind of correct myself just a little bit. Last week I talked about that, about how Jesus stood up off the throne of God for Stephen and all that. But I had some time to reflect and think on that, and I also talked a little bit with another brother of mine, a friend of mine who's a, who's a preacher, and we discussed that a little bit. And after I've talked about that with him a little bit, I think he's right on this and what he, what he gave me. First of all, I don't think Jesus stands up off the throne every time somebody gets saved or every time somebody comes home because he'd be bouncing up and down constantly. I just don't believe that's the case. <clears throat> Jesus did stand up. But why did he stand up? Well, the Bible says that Stephen was filled with the Holy Ghost. God was in total control of Stephen. Right? He, he wasn't doing these things of his accord. He was doing because he was moved by God. But why did Jesus stand up? Why did he say, I see, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father? Why was that said? Because he had just finished preaching the truth to these religious leaders of Israel. He had just given them the entire story from the beginning to the end. He had just made a, a, a dramatic case for Jesus Christ being the Messiah that they had been looking for all along. And he said, and I see the heaven open and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And when he said that, they realized that he was preaching that Jesus is truly the Messiah and that he's ready to come and set up his kingdom in Israel. I believe at that moment Jesus was standing, for if they would have accepted him, he would have, his kingdom would have begun at that moment. One last plea was given to them to receive him as their Messiah, and they refused. So God gave up. We come to the last part, the reprobation. Reprobation. When he said that, I see him standing on the right hand of the Father. The Bible says they cried with a loud voice. They started screaming out loud. I think they did it in a way to drown out the, the voice of their own consciences. Y'all have seen a kid that just don't want to hear it no more, stick their fingers in their ears and go, la, 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 la. That's exactly what these men were doing. They were they were screaming out loud to drown their own consciences, but I believe they were screaming out loud to bear witness to what was happening on the inside of them. They were in agony. Face to face with the truth and can't accept it and have to reject it and their soul being ripped in two by God himself. They cried with a loud voice and they stopped their ears. In willful, childish stubbornness, again, ah, screaming with their fingers in their ears. They said, we want to hear this no more. His, his words unraveled their whole existence. Do you understand that? They had no reason for being once he said that. Their whole existence was a lie. You remember when Jesus had said some things like these? When he said, thou hast, Jesus said, uh, when he was on trial, Jesus said unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And Caiaphas, the high priest, ripped his clothes. And they plugged their ears. And in that moment when they could not bear to hear Jesus Christ being the Messiah, they plugged their ears and God shut their ears. God gave them up. God said, that's it. I'm done. 
and they ran upon him with one accord. You remember when it talks about the early church being of one accord? They were all of one heart and one mind. Well, these men were all of one heart and one mind too. And that heart and mind was all about killing Stephen. And just as they had been outside of Pilate's judgment hall when they shouted, Give us Barabbas! Crucify him! They were all of one heart and one mind. And the Bible said, and when they, they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God's and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now I want you to kind of get this picture. They took him and they rushed him out to a place where they had where they stoned people. And there was a drop, they said, that was about twice the height of a man, and they pushed him off of that height. And if the fall didn't kill him, then they would take a big stone and they would drop it right on the man's heart to try to crush him and kill him then. And if he still didn't die, then they would pick up stones and begin to throw those stones and, and, and crush his head and, and, and try to kill him that way. And that's what they did to him. Why did they do that? Because they couldn't kill Jesus again. They wanted to kill Jesus again. They wanted to get rid of Jesus. They couldn't get rid of Jesus, so they killed Stephen because Stephen represented him. Because we are a child of God, you and I, we don't fit in this world. We just don't. We're not of this world. We're not like this world. We don't think like this world. We don't love like this world. We're called both to live for Christ and to die for Christ. All at the same time. To give ourselves wholeheartedly to the Lord, put ourselves in His hands, come what may. God has us and God is in control and so be it. And blessed be the name of the Lord. They saw Stephen as not fit for this world. Not fit for not fit for Jerusalem, not fit for anywhere. And he saw them as not fit for heaven, and he told them so. My friends, this world needs to be told so. That without Christ, they're not fit for heaven. Without Christ, there's no way. The martyrdom of Stephen ended the dispensation of the Jews. And it began to usher in the dispensation of grace. We're going we're to very quickly see the story of the, of the Apostle Paul. And we're going to see very quickly that the gospel goes to the Gentile people. God was more than patient with the Jews. And he's been more than patient with many people around us. And I'd say to anybody listening this morning, if you're under conviction of the Holy Ghost, don't you dare ignore the conviction of the Holy Ghost. That's God trying to reach in and say to you, I want to save your soul from hell. I sent my son who died on the cross paying the debt for your sins, and they buried him, but I was not satisfied with him being in that grave because he satisfied the payment. So he's out of that grave and alive forevermore, seated at the right hand of the Father. We need to tell everybody that story. We need to tell everybody that message. God's been very patient, but his time is running out. God has been very patient in the dispensation of grace, but it's coming to a close. Right now, you and I can take the gospel and tell it to anybody. Right now, we still have that, that First Amendment of the Constitution, which gives us freedom of speech and right to freedom to assemble. We can preach and teach and share Jesus openly without fear of, uh, of being arrested for it. But I'm telling you right now, if we keep taking that for granted and keep taking that for granted, it's going to be taken from us. And it may be taken from us by God himself because we did nothing with it. Not like he intended. Do not ignore the conviction of the Holy Ghost, whether it be for salvation or whether it be for service. Do not resist the Holy Ghost of God. He wants to work in your life. 
He wants to save a sinner. He wants to empower a saint. He wants to reach a world. I'm going to leave you with this, with this passage. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 33. Listen carefully to what God says. Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of concourse, in the opening of the gates. In the city she uttereth her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called, and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have said at naught all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, God says when it's bearing down on you like an F5 tornado and there ain't nowhere to go, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. And they would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. In other words, those that are so ignorant that they ignore God's word because they just don't want to learn. They'd just rather be ignorant. They'd rather be satisfied with their own dumb ideas than to listen to what God has to say. And those who who so bent on, on, on having wealth and things that they miss it. He said, but whosoever hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from the fear of evil. Again, this morning, I don't know that I'm talking to you when it comes to this message of salvation, but I say to everybody listening to me, whether it be on Facebook or whether it be through Blog Talk Radio or or iTunes or some other way that they come in contact with this message, I just want them to know today with everything in me that God is extending the gospel to you. God is reaching out to you. God is trying to tell you today that he wants to save you. God is saying, hey, I shed the blood of my only son that you might have life and have it more abundantly, that you might have everlasting life, that you need never fear the flames of hell, that you have a home waiting on you. Don't throw it away. Don't ignore it. Don't don't rebuke the Holy Spirit when he tries to convict you and show you that you're lost. Don't be foolish. Don't be so foolish has to turn away from the old rugged cross because there comes a time when God says, that's it. There'll never be another invitation for you that you can respond to. There'll never be another gospel plea. That's it. Oh, my soul. And church... There are people out there right now that God has intended for you and I to talk to. There are people, every single one of us in here that's saved, there are people that God wants you to carry the gospel to. And it's our our, our responsibility. And someday out in eternity, if we stand there watching while they kneel before the great white throne and they're picked up and pitched into hell, we'll know. We will know that God intended for us to share the gospel with them. There's a passage over in there where it talks about the angel shall come forth and shall sever the wicked from among the just 
And that verse has always troubled me, and I'll tell you why it troubles me. It's that word sever. He could, he could, have, he could have said, the angels shall come forth and separate the wicked from among the just. But he used the word sever, which means to tear apart. And in my mind, and maybe I'm wrong, but in my mind, I see us on that day standing on the right hand of the, of the, uh, of the Father, the sheep, and I see the left hand, the goats, and there's about there, there's a meal and be pitched into that lake of fire, and someone that we knew, someone that we had an opportunity to share Jesus with, see us and run and grab onto us and say, Why did you not tell me? How many things did we talk about that meant nothing, and you didn't tell me that he died for my sins? You didn't tell me that I could miss this judgment, and the angels will have to rip them apart from us. That's what I see, and I don't want to face that. I don't want that horror to come upon me that I failed, that I should have, but I didn't. I'm not trying to browbeat you. I'm not trying to guilt trip you. I'm trying to just open your eyes to see that God's very serious and that God's clock is ticking down and people are going to have no way to fix the terrible decision that they made to refuse Christ. And you and I have the key for them to escape all of that. We have the gospel and we've got to share it. And that's my message. Let's stand together. We're going to have a song of invitation.